I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to help you set up a system to generate lots of unique ideas that'll help you solve hard problems. We're doing this because most people have no understanding of where ideas come from, how they're actually generated. Even people who see themselves as, quote, idea people just sort of hope whatever magic has happened for them in the past is going to continue to happen. I'll prove it. If you're listening to this episode, you're probably someone who thinks they'll eventually have an idea that anchors a great business. Maybe you haven't had that idea yet, but you're banking on it. So what's your system for generating that idea? What are you doing each day to coax that idea out of the ether? Well, Oh, you thought this was going to be just another 20 minutes of story time where I talk about Ruby and the little guy and maybe make up a pun name for an AI accounting startup for catering businesses? Well, think again. For the record, that startup would be called LIFO the Party, which I'd give like a 7 out of 10 on the pun name scale. And I'm joking, today is going to be the 20 minute story thing. Well, from here on out. But I do think it's interesting that so many people relying on a great idea don't know the ingredients or the recipe for that stew. Luckily, after today, you will. In 20 minutes or so, you'll have the beginnings of a system to start generating ideas. The best part of this system is that it exists almost entirely to help you get out of your own way. Your brain is naturally an idea-generating machine. We are the blocker. If we give our brain guardrails and don't overwhelm it with junk, if we just let our brain be a brain, the ideas will flow. As counterintuitive as it might seem, to be creative, you need to create clear constraints and boundaries. Today's idea-generating system has been rattling around in the back of my head for over a year, ever since I read a wonderful article by Nat Eliason that I'll pop in the show notes about fermenting ideas. A year of thinking and tinkering and testing has led to today, a four-part system you can incorporate to generate unique ideas for yourself, to solve hard problems creatively to let your brain be a brain. So let's get to it. And we'll start by talking about baseball. Unique combinations. About a year ago, I did an episode that had a segment on a baseball training facility out West for high schoolers that produced a disproportionate number of successful college players. The training facility's secret sauce was pitch recognition meaning the ability for players to recognize if a pitch was going to be a fastball or a slider or a curveball the instant it left the pitcher's hand. The sooner you know what pitch is coming, the better chance you have of hitting it. It seems obvious to try and get better at this skill, but the baseball world has always kind of chalked up pitch recognition to natural ability. You're either born able to spot a curveball or you aren't. But the founder of this facility believed pitch recognition was teachable and learnable, and his results support it. To teach this skill, he developed two main eye training techniques. The first is what looks like a traditional batting cage, where you'd practice hitting a ball thrown by a pitching machine. And there is a pitching machine, whizzing balls to a player at home plate who looks ready to hit. Except the batter doesn't hold a bat. They hold a clicker. As the pitches fly by, they click curveball, fastball, changeup, or slider the second they recognize the pitch. 
After a few sessions, the founder says, the players improve recognition dramatically. And since they aren't swinging at the pitches, they can watch hundreds of pitches go by without getting tired. The second unique station is for vision drills, where players do drills like following lights on the wall, standing on one foot to connect eyesight to their nervous system. And as I said, it works. Building a facility to focus on pitch recognition is, objectively, a great idea. It helps create separation for young hitters as their competitors don't train like this. So, to answer our question of the day, where did the idea come from? A few months back, I reached out to see. The founder walked me through it. It turns out the initial idea came from an inversion exercise. Inversion is exactly what it sounds like. When you come across a problem, you invert it. So instead of asking, how can we create the best baseball players in the world? You ask, how can we guarantee our players will be terrible hitters? When you do that, you start thinking of things like horrible swing mechanics and no core strength and low situational knowledge and horrendous vision. If you can't recognize the pitch, you certainly can't hit it. But everyone seemed to ignore this one, he said, so he thought there might be opportunity. Next, the idea for the non-batting batting cages came from his friend, who was a college tennis coach. Leading up to a match, this coach had his players watch a bunch of film clips of their opponents serving. Then he'd pause those same clips right before the serve and ask what type of serve was coming. The goal was to pick up clues, nuances in how the ball was tossed or the server's body language, to see if you could predict whether a power serve or a spin serve was coming and if it was going to come inside or outside. Hearing this story gave our friend the idea for the batting cages with the clickers. Finally, the vision exercises came from another friend who was a physical therapist and had helped people improve their eyesight after traumatic events like car crashes. The therapist had often talked about how he could improve people's eyesight past their pre-injury baseline. The insight was that eyesight and hand-eye coordination could improve. When I asked how this all came together, he said he didn't know. It had all started from the inversion exercise, something he'd used to do as a consultant, which was his previous job. This helped him realize that a baseball facility focused on pitch recognition could maybe work. He said that he obsessed over it for over a year and everything eventually, quote, just fell into place. Then he referenced the alchemist quote you've probably heard. When you want something, the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. Back to ideas. A good idea is a combination of disparate stuff, a bouillabaisse of ingredients combined in a way no one else has thought to try. This combination then solves an important problem better than alternatives. Most of the time, this bouillabaisse is made subconsciously, and yes, I'm really enjoying saying bouillabaisse. But we don't want to leave this sort of insight to chance. We want it to be reliable, and it can be. The more I think about that alchemist quote, when you want something, the universe conspires in helping you achieve it, the more I think it's kind of bullshit. It's not the universe that conspires. I think it's just that your brain starts making better sense of the universe. If it has a clear problem to solve, it sees everything through the lens of that problem. I think we can set this up. We can build a system to make sure it happens way more often. The system I've been toying with has four parts. Identify, collect, chew, and test. And we'll help you build it. After, a little smooth jazz. 
Idea to Startup is brought to you by Tacklebox, an accelerator for people with ideas and full-time jobs. If you aren't sure what to do next, we've got a step-by-step process that's helped people build tons of businesses worth lots of money. It's got 25 hours of content, examples, and templates all organized in a tight seven-block path. If you get stuck and need feedback, I meet with founders personally every other week to organize sprints and help with tactics and approach. If you get lonely, we've got a bunch of other founders building alongside you. They're talented and driven and all in absolute delight. I handpick each one. If that's interesting, apply at gettacklebox.com. Part one, identify the problem. Picking what you want your brain to work on, aka your brain loves a problem. Today's system is going to start with wine. Have you ever been with a group of friends, maybe camping, maybe at a barbecue, maybe at a tailgate, and someone pulls out a bottle of wine, but everyone immediately realizes that no one has a corkscrew? The whole gathering turns into a ridiculous SNL MacGyver sketch. One guy starts pulling off his shoe because he saw someone do that once on YouTube. Someone else jams their keys into the top of the cork and tries to scoop it out. And another one starts taking inventory of all the items at the party laying out silverware and cell phones and hot dog buns like they're about to help the astronauts land Apollo 13. And eventually, you get the wine open. Your brain loves a problem. It loves having a job, especially when the boundaries are clear. The second you need the wine bottle open, the lens through which your brain sees the world changes. Everything is a possible solution to that problem. A fork is no longer a fork. It's a thing that might be wedged in between the bottle and the cork to pry it out or a tool to drill a hole through the cork so you can pour the wine out directly. When your brain has a clear problem to solve, it gets creative. A few weeks back, we talked about how our brains speak problems, so your marketing language should be problem-oriented, not solution-oriented. I love that episode. I'll pop it in the show notes. Same thing applies here. If you say this bottle needs to be opened, your brain springs into action. It speaks problem. If you think, what are some multifunctional tools we could sell to people at a party, your brain can't get to work because that is not problem language. So the first step of generating ideas is realizing that random ideas aren't going to happen. You need to give your brain clear problems to work on, which means you need to know the problems you face. Two weeks ago, we talked about strategy. I'll pop that episode in the show notes too, because these two are intertwined. We talked about how, if you're going to be successful, you need to face the actual hardest problem head on. This can be tough, so here's an example. During my brief stint in the med and pharma VC world, I remember a lot of talk over curing various types of cancer. Most of these talks started with something like, quote, well, obviously the best possible treatment here is early detection, but short of that, what we're doing is, and then a pitch. So if you decide you want to focus on early detection to really make a dent, the hardest thing might be getting people an MRI each year. This is expensive, tough to sell to customers as it's not normal behavior for us to be proactive, tough to sell to insurance companies because most patients aren't going to have cancer, and on and on. This is your wicked problem. You need leverage somewhere to make it work. The question you need to feed your brain then is, how do we make it possible for people to get an MRI every year? That is your, how do we open this wine bottle? Once you give your brain that problem, we need to make MRIs cheap or accessible or subsidized or something. Everywhere you look, you'll see examples of those types of businesses and your brain will try and make connections. You'll see a SaaS company and morph it into a possible MRI solution. Same with a tool rental business or a WeWork competitor. You'll watch the Great British Bake Off and there'll be a connection there. 
If your brain knows the parameters of the problem and that it's important, you'll get to work. More on the second part of that later. And for the record, I don't just put work problems into the top of this idea machine. One of the big problems right now for me is eating healthy lunches. How do I eat healthy lunches when there aren't healthy leftovers and my Achilles is still busted up so I can't drive to the salad place for lunch? The old brain hasn't figured that one out just yet, as I record this with a PBJ with crunchy peanut butter and raspberry jam, the PB&J gold standard, right next to the mic. But it's trying. The first part of any great idea is identifying the correspondingly wicked problem it's going to solve. The two are flip sides of the same coin, and you always start with a well-defined problem. Without that, you'll have no meaningful ideas. Part two, collecting, because entrepreneurs are collectors. About three years ago, I decided to take the podcast seriously. This meant I would publish a new episode every week for a year, 52 new episodes. I'd only released them sporadically before. I ended up making it 86 weeks straight with a new episode, then I missed a week, then went another 30 after that. About five weeks into that first stretch, I started realizing the impact the pod was having on my life. It had nothing to do with listeners. We didn't really have anyone back then. I think it was just my mom. But the impact was that everything I interacted with was a potential storyline. If I got a good cold email, I'd save it. If I saw an interesting business, I'd catalog it. Literally everything I saw was through the lens of the pod because I always, at every moment, had a looming deadline. I never had more than four or five days to write, edit, record, and post a new episode. So my brain was constantly dealing with the problem. What is a useful podcast I can post this week? And everything I saw was twisted into a viable answer. There's a quote by Jerry Seinfeld I love where he's talking to Howard Stern about his process. He says that he never stops, that he's thinking about his act 24-7, that he has for the last 40 years. Every second of the day, he's looking for stuff in the world he can use. Stern says that it sounds like a tortured existence, but Seinfeld replies, your blessing in life is when you find the torture you're comfortable with. All the best entrepreneurs I've met are collectors. They find problems they're interested in solving, then start collecting everything that might help with those problems everything they interact with. There are three things you need to nail the collecting part of your system. First, the removal of low quality inputs. Second, a steady flow of high quality inputs. And three, a cataloging tool to make saving and resurfacing dead simple. Let's get into them. We start with the removal of the bad, as that is always the best place to make progress. The best diet advice you'll ever get is to just stop eating stuff you know is going to kill you. So remove low quality inputs. You know what you need to do here, but my advice is always to make sure willpower is not involved. Make all the junk food content unavailable. Get rid of your social media accounts or give the passwords to an executive assistant and have them message you once a week with updates. If you don't have an executive assistant, make it your cousin. Leave your phone in the car while you work. Get off group chats with people you wouldn't choose to speak with every day. Protect your backpack. The problem with low-quality inputs is that they confuse your brain. If you look at Instagram 15 times a day, your brain's going to assume that that's the problem you want it to be working on. It'll be trying to figure out how to get back with your high school ex because, hey, you looked at their pictures like 10 times today and you didn't think about MRI machines once. Your brain is great at connecting, but it is not great at knowing your priority list. Next is the steady flow of quality inputs. 
Realizing that your brain will subconsciously prioritize what you put into it, high quality, diverse, unique inputs are going to lead you to unique outputs. One Tacklebox founder built a successful D2C business after a conversation with a scientist growing oysters in the Long Island Sound. Another built a SaaS business after getting deep into particle physics. I won't get too deep into this, as we can and probably will dedicate full podcasts to it in the future. But my favorite approach here is to just look at whatever is considered top 1% or top 5% content in other markets or disciplines. What is table stakes for consultants is revolutionary to athletic training. So learn the high quality stuff from other disciplines and markets and port it over to yours. Finally, capturing and cataloging this information is critical. It needs to be wildly easy to catalog and resurface insights as you have them. And they're going to happen when your brain is relaxed, when you're walking your dog or going for a run. I have a notepad in my shower and next to my bed. I use Readwise to store the highlights from my Kindle or web articles. I have a dedicated Gmail address I use to send myself notes I think of during the day. And I use voice recording constantly to talk through ideas as they come. I'll go over my complete system in more detail in the pod newsletter, since it isn't exactly great audio. Go to gettacklebox.beehive.com to subscribe if you're interested. It's free. Be protective of your inputs because they govern your outputs and your brain can't tell what's important. Build a system to make sure you capture the connections your brain makes as you go through the day. Next, chewing. Part 3. Chewing. Giving your brain space. Chewing is about two things. Reminding yourself what's important and creating space to mull it over. Resurfacing and reflecting. First, resurfacing. The goal is to drill home constantly what is important, the problem you're tasking your brain with solving. In Nat's blog, the one I referenced at the beginning of the pod, he showed his phone's home screen, and I'm not sure I've ever been more blown away by something so simple and useful. He'd used widgets to make sure it only displayed two things. First, a list of the top five things he was working on, and second, a highlight surfaced using Readwise. I immediately adopted this practice, then tweaked it a bit. My phone screen now displays a Notion widget. Again, I'll add it into the newsletter. The widget shows the starred projects and problems I want my brain to be working on. Right now, it's got two podcast topics, the healthy lunch question, a community for Tacklebox problem, and a prompt to find a gift for my mom for her birthday. I see these five things every time I open up my phone. I'm reminded that they are the priority. Below the project list, I have a quote surface from Readwise, something I've highlighted that I wanted to remember, just like Nat. This reminds me about the type of content I should be thinking about. The other part of chewing is reflecting, creating time and space to think. I have a few methods of chewing that work for me. First is a morning journal session of 20 minutes. I look at the projects I'm working on, and then I write for 20 minutes straight. This is stream of consciousness, but it always spills back to the core problems and how I can mash new stuff I've learned together for a unique solution. Like 90% of my good ideas come from 20 minute journaling. The second method is on hold for now as my Achilles heel still busted, but it used to be to go for a run without music. An hour or so of jogging relaxes me and lets my brain start to go. It gives it the space free of bombardment to think. This has been replaced with family time. Reading the little guy books weirdly triggers ideas constantly. My brain is relaxed, so it starts working properly. 
Giving your brain space to work is the hard part for me these days, but there are some things you can't just speed up. Fill your brain with good inputs. Give it problems to solve. Then go do other stuff. Let it work. As Warren Buffett says, you can't have a baby in one month by getting nine women pregnant, which is just, what a line. Anyway, those are the two types of reflection I'd suggest you build into your system. Scheduled time to write and actively try and connect the dots, and passive time where you block your brain from new inputs, where you can just let it chew on what you've pulled in with no other job. Part four, testing, the uncomfortable bit. Roughly 90% of the ideas you come up with will be crap, and 10% might be life-changing. The problem is, we can't predict which is going to be which, so you've got to build a system to test them all, to close feedback loops. Let's say our old baseball friend has the flash for a baseball academy that focuses on vision. Great, maybe it'll work, maybe it'll be crap. The key is testing it. Having the system in place to take what your brain came up with and push on it a bit. We've obviously done a lot of work on these sorts of tests in previous pods, and it's kind of what we do at Tacklebox, so I won't spend a ton of time on it. But our friend might start with a few core assumptions generated from the idea. First, that high school kids will recognize the value of vision training and pay for it, or their parents will. And second, that it'll work, that they will become better hitters. You might devise experiments for each. Maybe you pre-sell a week-long vision training camp and have batting tests before and after to see if it worked. I tend to think that, for now, the first three steps of this system are the most important. Identifying, collecting, and chewing. But I wanted to make sure you didn't think that that was it. As my dad says, a great idea plus $1.50 will get you on the subway. The end. I don't think this is the last you're going to hear of this system. I've been working through it and recognizing the flaws. I've also realized that the system's mere existence has cut down on a bunch of empty calorie intake for me. Just knowing that my brain treats everything I put in it the same has been harrowing and led to me deleting Twitter almost immediately. So action steps at the end of this pod, what I'd recommend for you is a lightweight, easy implementation to test it out. Here is how I'd start. Think of a problem you'd like to solve, or something interesting you'd like to do, or something useful you've been meaning to do. Maybe the problem you pick is to help the coffee shop in your town make more money so they don't close. Great. Now, get that everywhere. Identify it. Get it on the home screen of your phone. Make a card you put on your pillow with it. Text it to your spouse every morning and have them ask you about it every night at dinner. Make sure your brain knows it's a priority. Then start collecting high-quality stuff. Read articles in Scientific American and The Economist. Listen to a few of my pods or a lesser show like How I Built This. Call your smartest friends and ask what they're up to. Chat with the owner of the coffee shop. Call other coffee shop owners. Collect, collect, collect. The great thing is, it doesn't matter what high-quality stuff you ingest, your brain will do something with it. Then, schedule time in the next five mornings to think about it. 20-minute journal sessions, maybe, where you start to connect the best stuff you've surfaced where you start pulling ideas together, where you let your brain be a brain. You can have great ideas, but they're not going to happen by accident. So make sure they happen on purpose. This was the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, give us a holler at gettacklebox.com. You can apply there and we'll be working on your idea by the weekend. Have a great week. <laughs>